Hello, welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with Jamie Soden, David Joseph, and George Ortega. And we want to talk a little bit about compatibilism and how they redefine free will to something that would give every animal, plant, bacteria, virus a free will. Because they define it so, so broadly um, that, you know... Well, you have free will if no one's holding a gun to your head. So a dandelion grew of its own free will if there, no one was holding a gun to its head because that's, that's, that's one way. And it's a biological organism that can respond to its environment in desirable ways, which I think the key word, um, I think that came from Daniel Dennett. I can't remember exactly, but I think that definition came from Daniel Dennett. And I'm like, well, the key word being there is desirable. Who's desire? Uh, who says what's desirable and who doesn't? If you desire it, it is desirable. So if the dandelion desires to grow towards wherever the sunlight comes from, then it, it by their definition, it would be using its free will because no human coerced it into growing towards the sun. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, the compatibilists, they define it, free will, in a way that has nothing to do with causality or determinism or indeterminism it has nothing to do with what the debate has been about so perhaps we could talk about the ridiculous ways compatibilists try to maintain some notion of free will so that they can blame um, they, they can blame the dandelions for how they grow or they can blame their dog for shitting on the carpet you know <laughs> <laughs> Any ideas, guys? Uh, yeah, I've got an idea. I mean, on a more complex level, I mean, you don't blame a plant for um, its roots weakening the, um, you know, concrete joints and your brick walls, do you? You don't blame the uh, tree for, um, you know, growing and then having the branch, you know, break the window because, you know, it uh, grew too far into your house and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, we don't blame plants like that. And people tend to not blame their dogs or cats when they make a mess by pooping on the carpet or or something like that and you have to wonder well why do we blame other humans for things that we don't blame animals for we don't blame plants for doing what they're doing and we don't blame tornadoes or hurricanes for the damage they cause and so i think this reveals that we, if people who do this, where they blame humans but not these other types of living and perhaps not living things, um, well, this shows that they they believe in some kind of human exceptionalism. That's what it shows to me, anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, there's chaos and order. I mean, um, things still have a cause. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's a human or an animal. Um, if they're showing, like, destructive traits, there's always a reason for why um, they're of doing that, yeah. All right, so let's go through some of the um, compatibilist definitions, just one by one, and just like give various examples. I mean, you've begun to do that, Chandler, but um, let's do that. For example, like you know, one of them that um, that is pre pretty popular is that, like people will say, well, yes, you know, um, it was our genes and our unconscious that caused us to do whatever we did, you know, and they like to do this if we do something wrong, but it was we who did it, you know. So it's the fact 
that it was we who did it that that means that like we're fundamental because that you know this has to do with ultimate responsibility also so like you know we're fundamentally responsible because we did it and yes um, <laughs> so so let's apply that to for, for example other for example a calculator you know a calculator if, if you if you if you you know input a few numbers and you know multiply them or do whatever kind of function you want a, a According to that definition, a calculator would have a free will. I mean, it's absurd. Yeah, it well, is because, like I've explained before, like because I'm familiar with what you're talking about, George, because I read Sam Harris's free will book, and it showed um, what Daniel Dennett said. Like, well, it's still us doing it. What we're, we're, you know, it's still us that's making a choice, even if it's our unconscious and we don't even know how the decision's being made with what information. We're completely in sure. control of it, but it's still us doing it. And so like I've explained before, your butt has free will because even though that fart is the inevitable consequence of what you ate last night, it, it's still your butt farting. Therefore, you can credit or blame it, and it deserves heaven or hell. <laughs> Monsieur Kukko made a huge assumption by saying that um, quantum indeterminism allows – you know, allow us or even proves um, free will or ends. He said it ends the free will debate. And I'm thinking, well, that, that's absurd because that's like saying if I calculate our malfunctions, um, say if like, um, I don't know, you, you dropped it or whatever and uh, the circuits became damaged for whatever reason, and then it started outputting wrong sums, like you, you typed in uh, 2 plus 2 and, uh, and it should equals 4, but, you know, for you know some malfunction, if it output like uh, some other number it means it's malfunctioning and there's always a reason why it will malfunction yeah you know what jamie that just reminds me by this compatibilist definition like well it's your free will if you're doing it well that means that if a, let's just say that there is a true randomness so some type some type of quantum particle in in your brain um, fires off in the wrong direction and then you start raping everybody due to a random event, well, that means that you have free will even the, because the random event happened within a particle within your brain, therefore you're responsible for what had no for what you didn't cause, what you couldn't have done otherwise. So all right again, so let's let's guys, let's give more examples. So like for example, like you know, rain. If it's raining, that means the raindrops have free will because they're the, the, the drops that are falling. Or if it's the sun that's revolving around us, it's revolving around, or you know, we're revolving around it, whatever, or whatever it's doing. The sun's moving, you know, through the through universe. The the sun has free will, and 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 the earth has free will. So yeah, basically, you know, it's an absurd kind of like a a claim for free will just because like. An, an agent or or an object is quote unquote doing something. Um, can we think of like other kinds of like um, another kind of compatibilist um, definition of free will that again is equally absurd? <laughs> David, David, are you familiar with any or? Um, not really. To be honest, this kind of reminds me of a video that I saw of um, three <laughs> three Asian gang members. They were walking along, and one of them walks into a post by accident, a metal lamppost. And then all three of them suddenly start attacking this lamppost. You know, they, they punch it, they kick it, yeah. as if they're ascribing free will to the post. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, so, yeah, it's sort of, it's really kind of funny because, like, I'm, I'm sure I could think of a, a funny example. Yeah, okay, now there was this compatibilist 
who he said that if a child wants to go out and play, um, and he just goes out to play, but but he doesn't wear a coat, and his mother thinks it's cold outside, and if it's if she makes him wear a coat when he goes outside to play, well then it's not his free will to um to um, wear a coat because his mother coerced him into it, but if he if he grows up after he he's been taught to um, wear a coat, well, then it's his free will, because his mother's no longer physically present, but he's still in the habit of wearing a coat. And I'm like, that's so uh, that makes no sense because what it's completely missing the point that the cause of wearing a coat is because you feel cold and you need a coat to help you keep warm. It has nothing to do with the kid's mother. I mean, seriously. Yeah, and I was watching this um, through the wormhole documentary episode on free will, where um, some compatible—I think he's a compatibilist. Um, he didn't—he didn't say he was, but it, this does sound like compatibilism to me. He said just because um, drivers um, are, have a responsibility to, um, you know, um, drive a certain way, you know, don't do the speed limit, don't go through, um, you know, red traffic lights and stuff like that. Um, you know, you need to be you know, aware of what everyone else is doing on the roads and stuff. Um, he was saying, uh, it, how could I put this? Cars function on deterministic laws, but he was saying just because we can control cars like um, in a certain way, you know, be aware of everyone else, he was saying that proves free will. And I'm thinking that's that's stupid because, you know, brains still function on deterministic laws. It's still clockwork. Well, you know, since right. you brought up cars, Jamie, I have another great one. If a car um, crashes into somebody and kills them, well, the yeah. car can be blamed because the car – it was the free will of the car because even though the car was driven by a human, it was still the car that crashed into him. So you blame the car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, another, another um, version of compatibilism – has to do with physicality and non-physicality. In other words, they'll, they'll, you know, again, as we know, compatibilists basically accept or they claim to accept causality, you know, determinism. They, they, they find, you know, the universe is deterministic, things have causes, but then they still want to assert that, that we have free will. So one way they do it is that, like, that this causal process is actually a physical process that relates to the physical world, but, you know, our choices, our human thoughts and decisions are not physical. They're numinous, they're spiritual, they're non-material. So, David, what, what would be your response to, to that kind of assertion? Um, I, would, I would like to see some evidence of that. <laughs> Just you know, some, some good evidence of that. Okay, okay. And 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 I think maybe even more 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 so also um you know let's say let's say there was evidence let's say they came up with some evidence and I'm not sure what that would look like because like you know to have evidence of something that's non-material you know in other words like I think our apparatus our technology you know needs some for something to be material for it to to show up on our you know on our machines whatever for us to be able to detect it. But but let's let's say for some you know in some strange way we were able to to basically detect some so, uh, you know something that's non-material. Then the question becomes: I mean, 
why why would these philosophers believe or assume that causality is only limited to physical um, phenomenon? Why why wouldn't causality also govern this this numinous spiritual world? Yeah, see, George, that's the whole point. Is that even if there was some, such a numinous spiritual uh, whatever immaterial thing, which like David just I like. I'd like evidence of, and evidence implies that it has to be physical, so there's a problem. Um, but that doesn't escape causality anyway, because if they're trying to say that their spiritual decisions or whatever are completely free from causality, well, then here's the deal. Well, that's the that's the weirdest thing because it, notice that every decision people blame for still had to start. First of all, it had to start with a cause, and the cause that we can identify is always a physical thing. So even if the decision to drive drunk was a um, was a spiritual decision, and I don't know how that works, like how driving drunk would be a spiritual decision, there still has to be the physical alcohol. There still has to be the physical car. And so not only are your spiritual decisions not free from causality, but your spiritual decisions aren't even free from the material world. Yeah, and this always bugged me, right, about now that I think about it, now that I learned that free will is like impossible and stuff, this always bugged me. Why is it that, you know, um, there's other things that require um, a burden of proof, like, you know, if say if you're claiming that someone committed a crime or you're claiming that God exists or whatever, why is it that those things re require a burden of proof, but free will is somehow exempt from that? That's a good question, Jamie. <laughs> okay, yeah. and another compatibilist um, version of free will is like, you know, they, um, you know, one of the one of the challenges to free will is that we have an unconscious, and that's actually the part of our brain that decides things. That we were, you know, our our last last podcast we explored that that you know if the data and the principles and the processes for deciding or in the unconscious, then obviously the decision has to be in the unconscious. So, but like some, some compatibilists will say that some people can actually learn to control unconscious processes. I think you might, you guys might've heard of this, that somebody learns how to, let's say, speed up or slow down their heart rate or their, you know, these, these autonomous, you know, functions, bodily functions. So how, how would you, um, how would you um, explain that that, you know, being able to do that is not, is not really, you know, actually a uh, defense of free will? Well, first of all, the idea of, you know, controlling unconscious um, things in your body anyway is kind of a bizarre thing because if you're not aware of something, how can you possibly control it anyway? And the heartbeat would be something that you are aware of. And there would be trial and error ways to speed up or slow down your heart rate. But the process would still be causal. So I'm not sure where they're getting that and how that they use that. I don't get it. <laughs> That's a great point, Chandler. So in other words, like what they're really referring to is, you know, aspects of our, you know, functioning or behavior that, you know, are ordinarily unconscious, but can we can become first aware of them, and then, like, we, we might be able to control them. Excellent point. I think Sam Harris mentions uh, something like this with uh, his idea of meditation and, you know, being able to slow your heartbeat and, and things like that. But 
I've never heard of anyone being able to kind of produce more white blood cells or, or something like that, you know. I and, think that would be impressive. And the thing is, how do you know how many white blood cells you have at the current moment? Like, I don't even know the number of white blood cells. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, lots, I think. I think it's lots. <laughs> yeah, you know, another thing, it, for example, um, like, we don't, like, for, and this is kind of a funny example, but, you know, um, there is this one part in the Bible where Jesus said something about how you cannot make one hair white or black. And I'm like, well, it's true. It's not like you can consciously just change the color of your hair, you know, you, by, by worrying or whatever. And that's an interesting point. Like, we, we, don't, we, we don't have the type of control over our bodies. Um, and it depends on how you define control when you realize that nothing's really up to us anyway. But you start realizing, well, wait a minute. We don't, we don't choose our emotions. We don't choose our gender. We, don't, we just don't choose these things, nor can we schedule them. Like if you could actually schedule your hair to turn a certain color or schedule uh, to fall in love with a certain person at a certain time of the day, I suppose many people would define that as control, but we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think we have to kind of like acknowledge that, yes, certainly our conscious mind can't control anything because, again, you know, we have to like keep repeating this idea that consciousness is simply awareness. Consciousness is not a decision-making mechanism. So, but like, so it's our unconscious that, that makes these decisions. And like what's interesting in medicine is you have, you know, you have abundant uh, examples across, you know, all me medical disciplines of, of what's known as the placebo effect, that let's say, you know, if a person is given a sugar pill, is told, oh, yeah, this is going to cure you. And, you know, this, again, this is, you know, cured a lot of different kinds of ailments, all different types. And, and for some reason, a part of the unconscious will, in fact, you know, somehow change the physiology, just like um, produce more white blood cells produce whatever kinds of agents are needed, you know, antigens or antibodies, whatever, to fight off whatever is happening. So that, that's a pretty fascinating kind of like um, aspect of our human physiology that, you know, again, has to occur at the level of the unconscious. But, but you know, the key point, of course, is that um, if, you know, you know, because that's happening at the level of the unconscious, that's not, that's not free will. It's just not up to us to be able to do that. Right. And you know what, George, that gets into a whole system of ethics, like people believing false things actually benefits them in that case, because they're told that some some pill will cure them when it actually isn't meant to necessarily. But because they believe it will have an effect, that sort of makes it have an effect. And then, yeah, that gets into a whole other topic there of like, do our beliefs change our reality in some way so are you talking like um more about positive beliefs kind of thing um you know just mm -hmm. having a more positive outlook can, uh, can well david to... even more than that there was an experiment done several decades ago uh, kids with leukemia i think it was they were instructed by their doctors to imagine um inside their bodies there were these spaceships 
that were like attacking the, the, the cancerous cells, you know, like just like, like a video game or something. And these kids were just, you know, that's, that's what the instruction was. And apparently the kids who were able to do that did, you know, have a, a certain degree of remission from that, you know, that leukemia and also. So, yeah, it, it is a matter of kind of like being able to control physiological processes with our mind in a sense. Right, right. Okay. But um, I guess the point to that would be that they were instructed to, um, to visualize these things. And, of course, again, like, you know, the, the key thing is that, um, you know, the, the, the unconscious, their unconscious is actually, I mean, they, they might have been conscious of their doing that. But, again, like, we, you know, we have to keep emphasizing that all of our actions first occur at the level of the unconscious. And our awareness or our, our consciousness of those actions is simply being aware of them. It's, it, it has nothing to do with the real decision making. I've heard um, Daniel Dennett mention something about free wounds. Is that is that something you guys are familiar with? Or? All right, yeah, that that seems to be a, that, that seems to fall under the compatibilism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to explain? No, I, I'm I'm actually completely confused by it. Whenever all right, talks, um, Chandler, Jamie, are you, are you familiar with that? Or I, yeah, I've heard of. I think I read about it in a blog post or something. This idea of free won't like that you become conscious of your desire to do something, but that you can veto it somehow, and they call that free won't. <laughs> right, okay, this, this, this uh, originated with the LeBay experiments, the, you know, where the researchers found that initially in the, the, the first experiments, about 300 milliseconds before a person was conscious of their decision to, um, to you know, flick a finger or press a button or something, the researchers could measure muscle activity that showed that the unconscious had actually made that decision before they were, you know, aware of it. And again, like it's not, you know, now we're up to about 10 seconds that researchers can determine um, when the decision was actually made, 10 seconds before we're, we're aware of it. So like what they said in terms of the free won't is that like within the, those 300 milliseconds initially between the time where this what's known as the readiness potential is activated and that you know that simply means that the muscles are going to act or actually well it's a bit confusing wait a minute um yes as my, my understanding is the readiness potential means that the, the muscles are absolutely going to act um and between that and the time a person becomes conscious of that it's like 300 milliseconds and within that time you know they were positing that um that we can like actually veto that action, that 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 you know inevitable um, readiness response action. But actually, I'm just thinking about it now. Like you know, it's been refuted in different ways. But one way to refute that is like the readiness potential cannot be vetoed. The the readiness potential is simply you know physiological response that what that, that demonstrates the muscle is absolutely going to 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 respond. And so like um, um, if if there were you know. Let's say, I may not be um, remembering this correctly, so like if there were a couple, let's say, 100 milliseconds before that readiness potential happened, that they're claiming, you know, there, there might be the possibility of our vetoing, it's ultimately happening, then what they don't understand is that, um, that you know, they, 
according to causality, you know, basically there would have to be a cause for that too. You know, so no, it's, in other words, it's not just the unconscious aspect of, of this, you know, the, these experiments that they have to address. They also have to address the causality. That, so like it's, you know, that if, if we were, if our unconscious were to decide to veto, you know, a decision, this free won't idea, there would be, there would be a causal regression behind that. Exactly. It, it, if you veto it, there's a cause for vetoing it, but it goes even worse than that, George, and here's why. Because basically, it, it, there's, if, since you still don't control the causal process that leads to the desire to do a certain thing, even if you can veto it, you're still not the cause of the thing that you're vetoing. So you're still not even in control of what you're vetoing, even if you have that veto power, which we really don't. <laughs> yeah, but like exactly. Susan Blackmore said in um, the, what's it called, uh, documentary about the um, motor cortex, uh, the redness potential um, is one of the um, hard evidences against free will. So. All right, can we think of any other compatibilist um, definitions of, of, of free will? Um, Hmm. <laughs> there's got to be something else because I mean it, it's really weird because yeah all I all I know is that it almost is always phrased in the context like you know if no other human is is you know physically forcing you to do something through you know a, like gun to the head or, or some other kind of threat well then you're acting of your own free will but what if a bird poops on your head and causes you to go to a bathroom sink somewhere and wash off your head. That bird caused you to do that. It was not your free will because a bird did it. But then you have to realize a bacteria, a virus that makes you sick, is also not your control. And so that caused you to do things. So why do they have humans in this special category? And I've just noticed that human exceptionalism where humans are seen in an entirely different category um, than every other life form out there. And Daniel Dennis this way. He says free will is something only humans have. And how he expects to defend that claim, I have no clue. Absolutely. And in terms of like, um, you know, you're right. I think one of the definitions is like if, if nobody's forcing you to do something, you have, you know, you have a free will according to their understanding but, yeah, like, let's say, you know, they say somebody puts a gun to your head. Well, actually, there have been, I think, people that, you know, like, at gunpoint, you know, they say, give me your money or your life, whatever. And people have, have not been afraid of that. And, you know, maybe they've been killed or whatever. But there, and with, the, with the bird example and stuff, you know, the person may not go, go to the fountain and wash, wash themselves or whatever. So their claim is that we still have a, um, a choice of whether to do something or not. You know, the, the, the choice is fundamentally ours, regardless of, of what somebody else might do. But again, you know, I think their, their real problem is that they claim, they claim to accept causality. Again, uh, compatibilism claims to, to agree that determinism governs everything, but they don't see how in these cases, you know, whether it's like somebody with, with, a, with a gun to us or a bird or whatever, that if, if it's our quote-unquote decision that that decision is always going to be followed or regressed by, by this chain of cause and effect that, 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 that spans back to before <clears throat> we're born. I mean, that's the key. You know, they, they, I think they, they claim to accept causality, 
but they either don't really or they don't understand the implications of causality on on, on human decisions because otherwise they, they couldn't make the claim that, that that any decision was in any way up to us well you know what i'll probably get some hate mail for this statement that i'm about to say but <laughs> i don't think compatibilists are true determinists because what they're acting is like yeah, everything has a cause except what I choose to do. So what they're doing is they're they're trying to be a hard determinist and a libertarian at the same time whenever it suits them. They're 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 sort of like, you know, people who cherry pick the Bible to support whatever they want, you know. It's sort of like like well things are caused when I want them to be and when I don't want them to be caused by something outside of my control, they're not. <laughs> And the assumption that there's free will in the deterministic framework is still um, the god of a gaps argument. I mean, there's still no evidence for free will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, pre it's pretty crazy. What I've, um, I've heard um, Trick mention uh, in previous podcasts about um, people come along and they say that we're free because um, we may be influenced by our environment, but we're also creating environment at the same time so on that basis we're technically free according to them ah great example david so basically they're saying it's like it's another version of we are the, the actual the we were kind of like you know taking part in the decision right right yeah. yeah but yeah that's another version of like kind of like we're doing it right you know it's like but again, if we if we applied that to to calculators or or to cars, for example, cars, you know, they they drive, they turn, they you know, they're taking part in in what the driver makes them do. But obviously, we wouldn't you know um, ascribe free will to a car. Yeah, it's basically the same old thing. Like, well, it's still you doing it, even though you were caused to do it by causes before that you were even conceived, you know. So they're still missing the point. That seems to be the number one argument by compatibilists. Well, it's you that did it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's, it's, it's funny you bring up the, uh, the, the car because um, in the UK, they're just starting to in, uh, introduce uh, driverless cars. They're, they're like these little pods that drive themselves. Yeah, that's so, amazing. Yeah. So how yeah. long does it take before they, they actually say that these cars have free will? <laughs> yeah, I can, I can just see it now. They're going to say these cars have free will, man. <laughs> well, I, we've, we're a little past 30 minutes on my timer here, so I guess I need to close this podcast and then we'll do others. <laughs> well, you've been listening to Free Will, Science and Religion with Chandler Klebs, Jamie Soden, David Joseph, and George Ortega. We've been going through the different um, compatibilist um, defenses of free will and why they're all totally wrong. <laughs> we'll see you in future episodes. Bye.